end of service. Oh, thanks. Good morning, guys. Uh, as James mentioned, my name is Brian, one of the pastors here, and we are going to jump into Scripture right now, so if you guys would not mind opening your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 5. We've been in a series in what's commonly called the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to jump back into that. Um, we've been just making our way verse by verse through the really important teachings of Jesus. Um, as James had already mentioned, this is not a normal week for us, so typically we'll spend a little bit longer time unpacking this passage or passages of Scripture. This week will be a little bit different. I'll do the best that I can to try to give you as much information and help and uh, to give you the heart of what I think the passage is all about. But at the end of the day, not everything that can be said about this passage uh, will be able to be said about this passage. So that's just my quick little disclaimer up front. So let me, let me do this. How about we all stand? We're going to read from the passage. Uh, and then... Uh, I'll pray, and then we will begin to look at what I think is happening here in this text. So, Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 through 42. I'm going to read. You guys can either follow along up on screen, or if you have a Bible, hopefully, just go ahead and follow along. starts off by saying this. Jesus says, You have heard it said, eye for eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not violently resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him and give him the other one also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, also give him your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So God, right now we come to you and we just recognize that this is your word. There are things that you want to speak to us. So God, what that means for us is we need ears to be able to hear. We need the ability to be able to comprehend, the mindset to be able to stay focused. So we ask you right now, God, that that perfect combination of your word going forth would be met with hearts and an eagerness that's full of desire to want to become like you, to allow your word to reshape our understanding, our desires, our affections, and just even our mindset. So Jesus, we commit this time in your hands and we pray these things in Jesus' name. We all said, amen. Why don't you all grab a seat? Uh, I want to start this morning uh, with, a, with an image and a question. So next image, uh, sorry, next image. So just out of curiosity, don't, don't say this yet. Don't say what you think this is. But this is a question not for adults. So if you are over the age of like nine, if you answer this, you will be in trouble. But um, if you're under the age of nine or ten, uh, what is this? Anybody know? Anybody know? Angry, angry birds, angry birds, right? Okay. You guys all knew that, right? Everybody knows that. Okay. So here's a question. Uh, again, you got to be under 10 to answer this one. Um, so I need, I need everybody to listen real quickly. Um, what, what is angry, angry birds about? Anybody want to tell me what you think? Where? It's about a bird. What's a bird doing? Hold on a second. What's that? He's destroying, he's destroying pigs? <laughs> Star Wars, you're a man after my own heart. <laughs> Good job, awesome. Awesome, let's give him a round of applause. All right, any, any, anybody else? Did you have some important information to share? What, what's Angry Birds about? 
It's about killing pigs and blah, 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 blah. It's awesome. Good job. It's great. Yes. Give him a round of applause. Yes. Because they're stealing their eggs. Okay, with a little bit more information added to the, to the storyline. Okay, so apparently there was a theft of eggs. And now we have some killing going on and, uh, between birds and, and pigs, right? Is, is this accurate so far? Anybody care to contest this? All right, any more information to add to the narrative of this story? Angry Birds. Anybody else? No, sure, go ahead. What's your answer? Do you have an answer? No answer. Okay. Sorry. Mom, do you have an answer? Anybody else? Okay. I think we got, we've exhausted the narrative of Angry Birds. So long and short of it, what I, what I want to think about is the exact opposite of what Angry Birds is all about. That's, that's today's lesson, just FYI, if you're trying to look for a parallel uh, what Jesus talks about is the exact opposite. So if you, if you don't know, the story apparently, the narrative behind Angry Birds is a group of pigs maliciously steal the eggs from some birds. The birds get angry, they retaliate, and they go on this murderous plot to destroy and kill and slaughter the pigs, right? Does that make sense? So sorry if you're a parent and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you said all that. Um, the reality is that's the story. So the point that I would make is what Jesus offers is an alternative. What Jesus basically recognizes is that, in short, the story or the narrative of Angry Birds really is the story and the narrative of of humanity. It's the story of America. It's the story of every ancient civilization. It's the story, really, for the most part, of every tribe, every culture, every civilization, every human being, apart from the reworking of what God is up to in this world. There is this tendency inside of each one of us to want to retaliate, to get even. And really, our idea of getting even really doesn't exist because for the most part, what typically happens is we never get even. We typically always push the line. We always go beyond what the crime or the injustice or the offense has actually warranted. You guys following? How y'all doing? Does this make sense? This is what Jesus is addressing. What we want to look at here this morning, very briefly in our time together, is we've been looking at the story of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus offers what we've been describing as the kingdom of God ethic. In other words, what does it look like? This is a big question. What does it look like to live as if God is king of my life? I hope that's a question that you wrestle with. I hope that's a question that you think about. And I hope that's a question, because that's really at the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's really coming to grips with, working out, wrestling with, submitting to this idea that God is king, I'm not king, and I submit to his reign and his rule over everything, everything in my life. And this is what Jesus addresses, is this constant retaliatory um, reaction that we oftentimes fall into without even thinking about, because it is the part of our life. Now, I say this, which is kind of ironic, just two nights ago, for whatever reason, don't ask me because I'm not sure we were thinking correctly, but we wanted to have a family movie night, so we watched 24. I don't know why, if you don't know anything about 24, 24 is 
like, it's not, it's not good. It's just horrible. The movie was absolutely horrible. We all had, like, movie-watching regret the next day. We're like, why did we waste an hour and a half of our time? I still don't know the answer to that question. But the point of the matter is, is this is a narrative that's interwoven into culture and society. Somebody did me wrong. Somebody offended me. Somebody wounded me. Somebody attacked me. Somebody hurt me. I will then strike back and retaliate and fight back. This is the story of society. Jesus comes on the scene and says, hey, you've heard it said. So what I want to look at this morning is really this bigger question of really what is Jesus addressing or what Jesus addresses. Next slide. A couple things to think about in terms of bullets. We'll jump into the story and make some final thoughts and concluding thoughts. So Jesus, number one, is presenting a new way of being human. This kind of goes into what I just said. Living under the reign of Yahweh. To live as if God is truly king. Do you know that God is interested not in you somehow becoming religious? God is not interested in you somehow uh, assigning your heart to some sort of creed or learning just Bible verses. What God is really after is the whole life becoming part of what it means to follow Jesus. That's what God's interested in. In other words, radical transformation. This is what Jesus was always doing. He was always remaking broken humanity and re establishing it for another purpose, for his purposes. This is what Jesus was up to. Secondly, we see that Jesus is not undermining Hebrew scriptures. So what we saw earlier, uh, a couple weeks back, we saw that Jesus basically says, I haven't come to undermine the Hebraic scriptures. I've actually come to fulfill them. When we see next, Jesus actually, he is undermining popular notions or popular interpretations. So there's times when Jesus will say, you've heard it said, and then he'll basically say, but I say to you, so the idea that Jesus is trying to do is he's basically, he's um, dismembering, he's deconstructing certain ideas and ideologies that became popularized in his day, which here's the point that I would make, is that bad religion has been around for thousands of years. So this notion that somehow everything needs to be constructed constantly is not necessarily new. It's not a novelty. It's not an innovation. Jesus himself does it. But what Jesus does is he always reconstructs. He always brings back something that is conducive to life and flourishing by reframing it around himself. And this is what we see. Jesus is placing himself really as the fulfillment of Scripture. He's literally saying, I've come to fulfill, to satisfy all that is going on here. So the next slide, I want to just keep going through this, is I want to just give you some resources to think about because this big idea of what we would describe as nonviolent retaliation is a really, really extremely large topic, which we can probably literally spend weeks and weeks and weeks unpacking this because this raises questions like this. And I'll, I'll just throw some of these out. I'm not going to answer them. Um, because of time, but questions like this. Should a Christian go into the uh, military services? Should a Christian have a gun? Should a Christian fire a gun? Should a Christian go into politics? Uh, These are really important, significant questions. What about a Christian? What if he's attacked? What about if his family's attacked? Should he retaliate? Should he fire back? Should he protect his family? Now, again, I'm not going to go into all these. Sorry. But I think there's actually very legitimate and reasonable, thoughtful practical responses to these questions and a numerous uh, a number of other ones beyond this. What I would highly recommend, then, if this is something of any interest or value to you, and I would say this, that if it is not of any interest to you, if you've never really ever given any thought to this, uh, I would highly suggest you do it. You should think about this. You should really consider and think about what is a Christian's role 
in the place of a government that could be identified by some, by, by perhaps many, as violent. You, you do know that we have the largest military on this planet. What's a Christian's role in the context? It's, I'm not in any way trying to create controversy. I'm just trying to ask the bigger question. How should a follower of Jesus live in the context of a world militaristic superpower? Um, how should a Christian live within a society, for the most part, that exercises gun rights? I think, again, these are questions that you should think about. If in any way it's not something of interest to you, that's fine, but I would highly recommend you considering it, thinking about it. If this is something that you are interested in, um, I, I think there's some incredibly profound answers that are given by at least, uh, there's six interviews in total, but these three I would say stand above and beyond all other interviews within the series. So just go to Bridgetown.com, Bridgetown Church. Uh, teaching uh, under the Matthew series, and then you'll see the various numbers, 15, 16, and 18. These are outstanding. There's three other ones that are also really, really good, but highly recommend checking these out if in any way, shape, or form you are thinking about this subject matter. Okay, that being said, let's go on and wrap this whole thing up. Next slide, I want to begin to ask this three series of three questions, really, or three statements idea. What did Jesus address, or what is he actually addressing? What's Jesus talking about and thinking about with regard to this? So with that, what I want to do now is I'm going to begin to jump into the passages and think about this. Um, This is what commonly is known as lex talionis, which is just a big uh, Latin word, which basically means, again, the principle of the law of retaliation, that a punishment that's inflicted upon a corresponding degree, you get the idea, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Now, what this is all about in the ancient Hebrew scriptures, which we'll read a handful of them in just a moment, this is Jesus' attempt to basically reiterate. So, for example, in the Old Testament, God speaks those famous words, like eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Like I said, we'll read those in a moment. Jesus reiterates that here in the passage. He says, you've heard it said. Jesus is doing a direct quote from Moses. Now, what's happening there is a really important thing to note. Because there's a tendency to think that, man, it's really weird that God would be so um, firm and overextending saying an eye for an eye, that seems really harsh and critical. But again, you got to understand the Bible in its original context, when it was written, and when Moses began to write these things by way of divine revelation, it was called divine fiat, God speaks to him, and he begins to write these things down. What this marks is a radical advance in human civilization. So for example, uh, the idea of tribal warfare, the idea of if your next door neighbor or some other tribe or family down the road um, takes the life of one of your animals or defames one of your family members. What typically happens? You have this kind of bloodthirst now. You go out and you don't just simply take their animal. You like slaughter five of their animals. And what happens is you have this cycle of violence that continues to escalate. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, just watch the news. It's always happening. Just Again, if you don't know what I'm talking about, just watch any movie in the media. In other words, this is a narrative that is still broadly utilized in today's culture because it's how we think. If somebody wrongs me, I will wrong them back. If somebody hurts me, I will hurt them back. But typically what ends up happening is we call this street justice. And that street justice is rarely ever, if anything, just nor does it ever actually solve or resolve the problem of evil. What typically happens in street justice is nothing more than a cycle of violence that keeps happening over and over and over again. You guys agree with that? 
How are we all doing? You guys doing okay? Okay, this is what Jesus is addressing. He's saying there has to come some point where the violence, the evil, the wickedness must come to an end. How will this come to an end? By exercising greater strength over the evil? Well, really what we've discovered with that throughout history is that, yes, it may, for a period, overcome the evil. But what happens when the children of the ones that get slaughtered get raised up 25, 30 years later and they become strong? Well, we already know what ends up happening is that there's a violent overthrow, a violent overtake. In other words, violence just gets postponed for another day where it becomes even worse than what it was formerly. You guys following so far? This is what Jesus is addressing. And this is what God actually says. God speaks into culture and society that was well familiarized with constant overturning of violence. And God speaks to it and says, listen, here's how the way the law should be done. If an eye is taken out, don't remove more than an eye. If somebody's goat is killed, then just take the goat. In other words, don't go beyond what the crime or the offense or the issue created. So this is a major advance. But what Jesus does is something even far more progressive and far more in an advanced state of not just simply addressing the letter of the law, but going to the very heart itself and saying, here's another way, a better way to rethink about retaliation and retribution. So next slide. I want to just go through a handful of these passages. I'll just read them. And these are the three major passages that represent probably what Jesus was referring to. Exodus chapter 21 is the very first one. It says, if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. But again, this is God's way of basically putting limitations and restrictions on violence. You have to see the, 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 the advance of this, that God is actually speaking words of grace and saying, you should never exact more than what has been done previously. Put a limit on it. That's what the law was always intended to do. Next uh, passage we see is in the book of Leviticus, chapter 24. It says, whoever takes a human life shall surely be put to death. Whoever takes an animal's life shall make it good, life for life. If anyone injures your, his neighbor as he has done, it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever injury he has given that person shall be given to him. Verse 22 skips down a little bit. This is really fascinating. Just think about this. You shall have the same rule for the immigrant. That's what the word sojourner means. For the immigrant, as you do have for the native. So think about the advancement of this. How do immigrants typically get taught? Let me just take the guesswork out of this. How do immigrants traditionally get treated in our country? Again, it's not a political question, not a political statement. It's just simply oftentimes the reality that sometimes immigrants, foreigners, can be treated as foreigners. They're on the outside, which means they don't get access to the same degree of humanized treatment. So what God is actually saying here is an incredible advancement into this community of the people of Israel. He's saying, look, even the immigrant, even the sojourner, even the guy or the gal or the grandma or whoever that does not belong to the people of Israel, does not subscribe necessarily to their same lifestyle, they are to be shown the same degree of justice that everybody else is given. This is phenomenal. Again, this is like, this was written 3,500 years ago. This is about a God that actually cares about humanity. Next slide. Last one. Deuteronomy 19.21 says, It shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, 
foot for foot. So into this, Jesus speaks. Next slide. So what we see is that Jesus then, in the second thing, invites us into something. So number one, we saw that Jesus addresses. What is he addressing? We saw the Old Testament passages. And then what Jesus does is he invites us into seeing it, to living it, to being a part of a brand new community in a different way. Again, you can't miss this. This is really profound. There's other New Testament passages like Paul will write about this in Romans chapter 13 and 14. And and then other New Testament writers, even Peter addresses this, where he says, repay no one evil for evil. But the idea is to repay a person who does evil with good. This is a radically different way of being human. That is completely independent of the typical modern Angry Bird narrative that dominates our landscape. So what Jesus actually invites us into is what I would describe as nonviolent retaliation. So this is where some would describe it again. I don't I really don't have time to unpack all this. Where some would say that Jesus is teaching pacifism. Now, again, I heard a great way of describing this. There's a lot of people that immediately um, deny pacifism because the idea, we get the word, we use the word pacifist as one who lays down themselves and they do nothing. They become passive. That's actually the not, that's not at all what Jesus is calling people to here. It's not laying down and being passive and being a doormat and letting someone step on you and overcome you and dominate over you. What the idea here is the word pacify comes from the idea of pacify, which means to bring it into, to address, to stop. What Jesus is suggesting is, is a way to stop evil, not by way of violence, not by way of this typical narrative that we see common in our world today, but by a more, by a more creative way that's more profound, that has the double ability to not only um, expose evil for what it is, but to address evil on its level without playing into the violent, angry person game that our world is constantly stuck in. So what Jesus is actually inviting his people, his friends, his followers into is a nonviolent retaliation. Then he goes on and he offers basically three things and he finishes up with this final statement. I'll go through this real quick. Number one, he says, offer your other cheek. Now, most scholars would all agree that he describes if they slap you on your right cheek, this is the idea of this is not a, an attempt to kill someone, right? This is, this is, for the most part, best way I think of it, this is an insult. So imagine if you are a slave or somebody that is a commoner, meaning you don't have a lot of money, you're just a normal status quo human being in society, but then there's somebody above you, someone like a boss or higher than you, has more, more money than you. They slap you. Jesus says, offer to them your other sheep. Now again, some would say, is Jesus being literal? Is this how, should we just allow people to step on us? And again, this is a misunderstanding of what the word pacify means. Pacify doesn't mean to just let others step on you. It means to address evil, but in a non-violent, retaliatory type of a way. What Jesus is saying, give me your other cheek. And really the idea here is that, imagine, imagine yourself uh, being Jewish or being someone that is being taken advantage of, and someone comes up to you and they slap you on your cheek, right? And here you are, you're, uh, you're humiliated by that. Can you imagine then the context to say, hey, here's my other cheek. You're rising to their level, and you're basically saying, I'm not a piece of dirt, I'm a human being, and here's my other cheek. What you're doing by that act, what is really an act, some degree of defiance is an act of exposure. You're exposing their brutality in a profound way. 
Because if they then go ahead and whack you on the other cheek, then you expose to them in the fullest degree of how much of a horrible person they really are. And this is to some degree what Jesus is saying. Again, it's a radical, hyperbolic type of a statement. Um, and then the next one he goes on to say, or we see, is that he offers, he says, offer your undergarment. Now, back in that day, a little bit of a backstory, back in that day, he envisions people that are being taken to court and being sued. Back in that day, you'd wear two garments. One, you would have your undergarment, and then two, you would have your outer garment, right? I guess it's not too different than the way that we would operate today, but for the most part, this is how it would work back then. So Jesus says, if they sue you and they take your, your, your jacket, your outer garment, now there you are standing in your undergarments. Jesus says, take off your undergarments and give it to them too. So again, I want to, don't, you, you can think about this, but in a pure way, but imagine here you are in court, totally stripped of any clothing, all right? I'll, I'll refrain from using other words. So, um, totally stripped of any clothing. And here you are in front of everybody, exposing, obviously, the fact that you have been taken to court and lost everything. But the second thing was something that you give away. What, what would happen in that context? You would basically be, in a very real way, exposing their greed and their utter disregard for your humanity, it's, do you understand? It's exposing greed and evil and wickedness for what it is. Again, I, I realize for some of us, this is a radically different way of thinking. Because this is not, number one, how our culture thinks. This is not how, how we are trained to think. But this is what Jesus is retraining his followers to rethink. Thirdly, he says, to go an extra mile. And this is, again, envisioning the Roman, what we would call the Roman occupation. So imagine if... I've said this before, like imagine if Canada somehow became a world militaristic superpower and they over strong-armed America. They overcame America, right? So imagine on every street corner here in downtown St. Louis Obispo, you have a Canadian, you know, militaristic guard, right? He's got a big gun in his hand and he's very terrifying. This is the Jewish people, like they were living under Roman occupancy, and Jesus imagines a scenario where this Roman guard is basically making demands of the poor, oppressed Jewish people, saying, I want you to walk a mile with me. What Jesus then basically says is, rather than playing to the typical system, which would be to forget you, or I'm going to gather my friends and we're going to fight and revolt. Now, again, there's a little bit of a backstory that's at play here, probably in the back of everybody's mind. But 100 years before Jesus was this radical revolt. And it was against a king by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. And it was through these warlord brothers. Uh, they were called the Maccabees. In fact, if you've ever heard like First and Second Maccabees um, in um, some versions of like a Catholic Bible, uh, it's typically just historical reading. This is re- these stories would have been greatly familiar. Be, they would have been like Braveheart, right? And if you've ever seen Braveheart, it's like the story of a warlord that rises up and says, we will fight against the tyranny and the oppression, and we will destroy our enemy. And these were the, the narratives. These were the stories that would have been very familiar. And what Jesus envisions is a radically different way of living out and responding to the oppression of the Roman government. And he says, if they ask you to go one mile, offer to them to go another mile. So, again, this would reveal your commitment to say, we're not a threat. You don't have to worry about us going warlord on you. You don't have to worry about us creating some sort of ninja counter-strike against you in the middle of the night because we're willing to go 
with you in another way, another mile. And then Jesus finishes, I think, with this statement by saying, give to those who ask. Again, when you think of it, I think what he's doing is plugging in a statement with each of the three comments that he just makes. The one who asks or hits your cheek, give to them the other cheek. Uh, undergarment, extra mile, so on and so forth. And what I want to do is I want to finish with this thought. That The next slide is I want to just kind of finish with this thing that what Jesus invites us to. Now, first of all, what we see with regard to Jesus is that he is not just offering good advice. This is really important to understand. So in other words, if you are new to Jesus, or maybe you're not even a Christian, and you're trying to figure out the claims of Jesus, this is not where you begin. You don't listen to this and be like, how do I try to become a better person? I think you will become a better person if you live according to these things, because these things work, but this is not the main heart that Jesus is driving at. There's more than just simply good advice that, tr- that Jesus is trying to focus on. Next, we see that Jesus ultimately is actually announcing good news. Because thirdly, what we see is that Jesus ultimately will be the one who will fulfill and to accomplish every single thing that he's just taught. So next slide, I'll wrap it up with this, and we'll watch a very fast uh, gospel project, Bible project video. So what we see that Jesus does is then he begins to incarnate. Another way of thinking about this is to embody. Jesus literally embodies the very teaching that he just gave here. So just think about this. When Jesus was mocked, he did not ever, ever respond aggressively to those who mocked him. Secondly, we see that when Jesus was challenged, he oftentimes told these humorous parables that often forced his enemies to rethink things, to think differently. Sometimes the way that Jesus was calling him to rethink radically offended them because it radically appended, turned over, upside down, their way, their understanding of how the world works. Jesus was calling them to an entirely different way to be human. This is where Jesus would say to lay down your life. In other words, the way that you think your life should work. He says to lay it down and come follow me. I'll show you a new way. I'll give you life in a way that you can never even comprehend or imagine. Thirdly, we see that when Jesus was hit or struck, he absorbed the pain and ultimately the insult. And then when Jesus was forced to carry the Roman execution device, otherwise known as the cross, he ultimately did not resist. Imagine the context, the king of the universe, your creator God, being approached by a Roman and said, you must carry this, and Jesus had power, all the power in the universe to do something, and yet he does not resist, and he carries it. Finally, we see when he was ultimately nailed to the cross, Jesus prays for his very executioners. This is about good news. It's about the good news of what Isaiah would prophesy in Isaiah chapter 50. Read this last passage of this suffering servant. He says, I offered my back to those who beat me and my cheeks to those who pulled me out of, who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. This is a picture of the God who loves us, who's come into our world not to passively allow evil to do to him whatever it intends, but to actually go to the very root of evil and wickedness and darkness in order to undo it. The very thing I would suggest that many of us in this world are trying to do. We see the impact of evil and wickedness. But the problem is, is we oftentimes use more violence and more anger and more wrath 
to try to deal with that same evil. And all we simply do is we compound the evil and never really get rid of it. Jesus radically turns it on his head and says, look at me. I will rid this world of evil by allowing it to do to me all that it will do. With that, I want to show this little video clip. I'll have the worship team come on up and we will sing a song at the end. And I'm done talking for now. There's this beautiful poem. It's in the book of Isaiah. The city of Jerusalem has just been destroyed by Babylon, a great kingdom in the north. And all of these Jewish people, they've been sent away into exile. But a few remained in the city. And they're left wondering, what just happened? Has our God abandoned us? Right, because Jerusalem was supposed to be the city where God would reign over the world to bring peace and blessing to everyone. Now, Isaiah had been saying that Jerusalem's destruction was a mess of Israel's own making. They had turned away from their God, become corrupt, and so their city and their temple were destroyed. Yeah, everything seems lost. But the poem goes on. There's a watchman on the city walls. And far out on the hills, we see a messenger, and he's running towards the city. He's running, and he's shouting, good news. And Isaiah says... How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Beautiful feet? Yes. The feet are beautiful because they're carrying a beautiful message. What's the message? That despite Jerusalem's destruction, Israel's God still reigns as king. And that God himself is going to one day return to this city, take up his throne, and bring peace. And the watchmen sing for joy because of the good news that their God still reigns. Now, in the New Testament, we find this same phrase, the good news. It's the Greek word euangelion, and it's also sometimes translated with the word gospel. So when Christians say, do you believe the gospel, they mean, do you believe the news? But not just any news. In the Bible, this phrase is always about the announcement of the reign of a new king. And in the New Testament, the Gospels use this phrase to summarize all of Jesus' teachings. They say that he went about proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom. So Jesus saw himself as the messenger, bringing the news that God reigns. Yes, but the way that he described God's reign, it surprised everybody. I mean, think, a powerful, successful kingdom. It needs to be strong, able to impose its will, able to defeat its enemies. But Jesus said the greatest person in God's kingdom was the weakest, the one who loves and who serves the poor. And he said that you live under God's reign when you respond to evil by loving your enemies and forgiving them and seeking peace. This is an upside-down kingdom. Now, Jesus also said that this kingdom was arriving with him. Yeah, so for example, there's this really interesting story where there's a high-ranking Roman officer, and he comes to Jesus begging him to heal his servant. And he even calls Jesus his Lord, acknowledging that Jesus is his authority. Jesus praises this man for recognizing what no one else yet had, that not only was Jesus announcing God's kingdom, he was the king. And so the word gets out that this Jewish man from Galilee is talking and acting like he's the king of Israel. He's appointing 12 disciples, which are an image of Israel's 12 tribes. He's healing people, forgiving people their sins. And all of this so threatened Israel's leaders that they finally decide to have him killed. And Jesus let them. Yeah, which is a weird thing to do if you're trying to become king. That's right. But for Jesus... This is what had to happen. 
Jesus saw the sin and the devastation of his people Israel as just one small part of the entire human condition. How all humanity has rebelled against God, resulting in the tragedy and devastation of our whole world. So how is God going to bring his reign over such a world? Jesus believed it would be through an act of sacrificial love for his enemies. This is why in the Gospels, Jesus' crucifixion is depicted as his enthronement as the king of the Jews. Yeah, he receives a crown. He also receives a robe. He's exalted up, not onto a throne, but onto the cross. How beautiful are the feet that bring good news. And the good news now is that Jesus has defeated death and that he reigns as king, that he's dealt with our sin and corruption himself and that he's conquered it with his life and with his love. And then Jesus sends his followers to go out and keep announcing this good news of the upside down kingdom and to invite everyone to give their allegiance to him, the king who defeated death with his love. So I want to invite us all to uh, stand, we'll sing. I don't know where you're at. I don't know how this message has impacted you, the message of Jesus, the invitation of Jesus, or if it's ruffled your feathers, if it's been troublesome, informative, helpful, insightful, I don't know. But my hope this morning would be, above and beyond all other things, would would be that you would see the invitation of Jesus to trust him. If he is king, he knows what's best for you, for all of us, to trust him, to take him at his word. And the act of trusting Jesus is an act of resignation. It's turning away from my strong desires and allowing my deepest desire for life to be found in this God who loves you and embrace him to trust him. So my invitation to you is, no matter where you're at, to turn to this Jesus, confess your sin to him, to turn away from those things that are, that are soiling and defiling and ruining your heart, and trust him for who he is and for the life that he offers. So we're going to sing as we worship. We will also have the elements of the table, the bread and the cup available. You can Dip the bread in the cup. If you're a family, whoever you are, you can invite other people to be part of that, to do that together. We'll sing. I'll be up in the front as well as some others that would love to just be here and available to pray for you. If there's, if there's anything that's going on in your life you need prayer for, but let's respond to the greatness of, of our King and worship and honor and confession and faith. So let me pray. Let's sing. Jesus, right now we turn our hearts toward you. We want to trust you and respond accordingly to your greatness through song, through worship. And we pray these things right now as we sing. Amen. Let's respond.